Hello, Hello. Uh, I'm Matt Jones. And I'm Matt Bidoff. And we are two of Doppler. <laughs> There's not many of us. Um, a couple of things before we begin. This is a bit of a hypertext. There are stories within it. Um, there are lots of experimental procedures that are going to happen. If any of you are, uh, have a condition where you react badly to flashing lights... Uh, please, when we warn you, look away. <laughs> really. This presentation does contain use of strobes. It does. And, and also, if you, don't, don't be near any vases or anything like that. Um, <laughs> and another sort of... Um, another thing to kind of... <laughs> another thing uh, just to get you ready. We're going to be doing science. We're going to be doing an experiment. And to do this experiment, we'd really like you to download... If you've got an iPhone download uh, from the App Store a piece of software called NeoReader, or if you've got a Nokia phone, particularly an N-series, we know this works with the Nokia barcode reader. So, Other smartphones are available. Other smartphones are available. Um, but our, the title of our presentation is uh, Designing for the Coral Reef, and um, what we're going to talk about broadly is um, what happens when you are trying to design in this medium, this, this kind of grain of the medium of the social web. Using examples, we're going to talk a little bit about um, how we try and create delight within the behaviours there. Um, we're going to talk. Uh, Matt is going to do the you know the science bit as he always does. We're going to talk a bit about um, uh, how to. We've heard a lot about how to kind of take and use and give back data to the social web. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, and I really liked um, uh, Josh's talk in his cognitive biases. I think our number one cognitive bias at Doppler is not invented here. But, yay, we don't have to do it. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. Uh, we're going to talk, uh, there's going to be some wild speculation about um, how humans behave when they're confronted with technology. Um, and when we make um, odd choices that confuse them. We've, and um, sort of, uh, as a result, create expectations and weird behaviours. Um, and we uh, mean it, <laughs> what we say. So, um, we run a little uh, company, a little service called Doppler. Who's a Doppler user? Yay! Uh, who isn't a Doppler user? Uh, well, I'm not, this isn't, this isn't going to be a pitch, um, but I do want to set the scene a little bit about where Matt and I and um, kind of the, one of the other co-founders, Marco, were when, when we sort of started this off. And this is my, probably my number one favorite slide in the world, which is a picture I took in Australia. Um, at the Sydney Opera House, and it was an architectural exhibition. But this, for me, is kind of what we do with computers. We make models. We um, create models of uh, our future with calendars. We create models of our finances with spreadsheets. And what we do when we make these models, we spin them around, we optimize them, we tweak them, we manipulate them in order to see how we could make them better. And I think this is the, the kind of story of information technology. And what we wanted to do was create a model of uh, all of space-time. Um, <laughs> uh, this may change next week when the Large Hadron Collider switches on. Uh, <laughs> and let's see if the laser works. So um, basically, the reason I show this is that Doppler is all about the future. It's all about the, uh, your intentions and kind of uh, modeling your intentions and sort of finding the kind of perfect line through this top bit of the light cone 
here's you now and here in the hypersurface of the present. Uh, and then we're sort of developing a little bit more stuff about kind of what you can do about the past and sort of evocatively remembering things from the past and those kinds of things. Um, and when we uh, sort of pick one axis and we spin the model around, um, then we sort of find out new things and we sort of surface new things. And that's kind of what we're interested more broadly. Always have to have an Eno quote. Everything starts with an Eno. Um, and I love this one. For words to be interesting, you have to be manipulating it all the time. And really, that's what we're trying to do a little bit of, is kind of being part of the social web that helps you kind of model the future of your travel through the world and your social network. Um, this is a quote by my friend Stefan, uh, from, who's the CTO of Moo, uh, when we were having a drink the other night. I really liked it. Um, he said, Doppler is a social physics engine. Um, and uh, if you're familiar with the term physics engine from the gaming world, it's kind of a piece of, it's a piece of software which is kind of underlying the game story, underlying the kind of your, your actions in the game. But it's the piece of software which is looking at all of the calculations and, and kind of... Uh, kind of behaviors of the objects within that game world. But it's not something that you think about. It's, it's, it's something that is kind of middleware underneath that. So I really like the idea of us being this kind of physics engine in a bunch of other kind of parts of the social web. Click. Um, and this is another one I, I sort of talk about an awful lot about when we started off. We sort of said what we wanted to do was act like a catalyst. So we wanted to find that one bit of catalytic information that we could inject into a whole bunch of other arenas whole bunch of other kind of parts of the social web, which would kind of just change and optimize and, and um, make your future that little bit better. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we talk about an awful lot in terms of this is kind of when do we, you know, we, when do we get the hell out of the way? When we've delivered, you know, that little piece of information to Pounce or to uh, Fire Eagle, you know, via Fire Eagle, those kinds of things, then we kind of hand off to something which is far better at doing the job that it's doing. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And this is kind of a manifestation, in a way, of um, who knows who this guy is? <laughs> yeah, easy, because I've shown you the slides. Um, and, oh, thank you. Um, this is John Postel. And um, Postel's law is kind of one of the oldest and probably wisest bits of kind of uh, 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 rule making around the internet. And he sort of said, be conservative in what you send and be liberal in what you receive. And that's one of the patterns that we try and really sort of cling to in, in, in designing Doppler. Um, and the coral reef metaphor is something that's been getting a lot of uh, play in the last kind of year or so. I think Dave Weiner coined it first of all. Um, but it talks very much about kind of, you know, this, this imaginary infrastructure. But I think the thing that it misses out is that the coral reef is an animal as well as infrastructure. And it has all of these little animals doing its part at different sort of scales in the food web. And we, we've decided that we are a trophic level two benthic microfauna. Please take notes. Um, <laughs> and so we try and, we try and very carefully sort of think about what can we do to contribute to the rest of the social web and what can we make use of as well from that. And to tell you a little bit more about that, here's Matthew Bidoff from the sofa. <laughs> Thank you very much. No. What? No. Hey, not yet. Not yet. <sighs> um, okay, right. So the Web 2.0 drinking game has begun. Everyone take a shot. Um, so we all know what Web 2.0 is. It's, it's millions of different definitions. Um, but uh, the way we like to think about it uh, in the context of what, the way we're building things with Doppler is that it's an arc of history for what we're doing with connected computers. 
So the, the way that we started getting and recognizing the real power of computers in the early days of uh, sort of computing possibilities was the mainframe, the centralized uh, computing resource, time sharing, and you get a lot of benefit from putting all your stuff in one place. You get massive economies of scale, you can afford the big boxes, the big shiny lights, and um, the individuals can benefit from that. And then, of course, the arc that we've all gone through to go down to these fantastic... Uh, He's a sharp-looking fellow. He is, actually. I mean, I aspire to that as a, as a user of computers. Um, and, um, you know, we went through this wonderful evolution and started wearing waistcoats, and that was an important development in the computer history. Uh, but at the same time as the waistcoats came the personal computers, and the personal computers took away that element where we were all actually quietly, intrinsically connected to each other. Sure, our programs were running in, in sandboxes on the mainframe. We couldn't necessarily see each other's data, but neither were we sharing resources or gaining economies of scale from it. Waistcoats may have preceded computers. Citation needed. Okay, I'll check, I'll check that one up for you. But now we're moving back again in this phase. This is sort of uh, often the, the sort of the curve, the, uh, the shape of evolution of technology goes through a widening out phase and narrowing down. And then we widen out again and look at uh, what's possible if we revisit some of the ideas of the past. And with the internet, and particularly with the more data-oriented uses of the internet recently uh, in the last several years, things like Flickr. Flickr is a mainframe. It's a big, giant machine that stores loads of stuff. And by storing lots of stuff in the same place, we get economies of scale out of it. And um, from there, we come to pretty much where we are now, which is having seen the power of combining massive amounts of information from many sources, the enormous, uh, the sort of easy group-forming power, the zero-coordination uh, power of things like tagging and linking and all these things used properly, is we get to this realization of the original vision of the web, which is the web is not just a sort of teletext, a, a, a view data system. Um, it's a web of data. It was designed as that right from the start. And um, our, uh, everyone's dear friend Tom Coates talks in wonderful detail about the way that we now are starting to design, not just for our website, not just for that little bit you're seeing in your browser, but for the reuse of data and realizing that data crosses the boundaries of sites and sites that open up uh, access to that data and allow the easy recombination of it with other sites are themselves benefiting from it. And to quote another of our... This is, this is a friend's quoting commerce, uh, talk, by the way. Another, another of our, uh, our respected friends, Matt Webb, um, He's been talking recently about movement as a paradigm for the way the web is going. So the web, when we started out, the web was a physical thing. You went to a site, you hang out on a forum. We had destinations, and people tried to build portals, places that could be almost physical, sort of arcologies, places you could go and put your web online life. And then we moved from this web page era into the era of web applications. Um, the, the sort of the power lifter, the internet as magnifier of your individual capabilities, gives you superpowers and power-ups and let you do, lets you do things over great distances, uh, access knowledge that you can't immediately access from your physical environment. And that's, you know, that's the, the stuff that's evolving now. Um, but we're going through, as, as we are able to move from site to site, we get away from the archaeology individual approach to sites. Um, we are moving around sites, as is our data. And something that Matt said in a presentation recently, which I think is it's a really wonderful concept, is that um, your web service is a finite state machine that executes on your users. Take notes. Everyone got that? 
So the, as we, uh, the, web is an, the web is an engine of state. We move from site to site, and we have, there, there are sort of infinite combinatorial possibilities of what you can do from click to click. But actually, when you plan out a service, and when, you move through, when your users move through a service, they're making individual state decisions. Shall I, shall I click on this or that? Shall I upload some content? Shall I stop using it? And if you think about that as a design principle, then you can think about the infinite branching possibilities of people navigating your sites and services, and that that extends beyond site boundaries and out into the coral reef. So um, Mike Nagurski of uh, Stamen Studios has been uh, doing a lot of work, um, as Stamen are want to do, with maps and massive amounts of data and massive amounts of data on maps. Very, uh, very sort of specialist and, and smart people. And um, they've been, as everyone who's done big mashups, put stuff on maps, has done, you start off with Google Maps, and you go, great, Google Maps, massively powerful, really, really good platform to bring data into, to combine possibilities. Um, but what they've started doing, because they are, uh, they're developing unique web products, is they've started to create uh, open source and sort of unique uh, map uh, frameworks of their own. So there's a flash library called Modest Maps, and uh, some other libraries called, I think, Mapnik, that help you do layer combination and so on. And he's been reading a lot, uh, because of this, about games design. And um, let me go a little closer to my screen. Um, they call, so what they've started calling uh, this, this Google Maps style of interaction as a generic term is slippy maps, things that you sort of scroll around in your browser. It's not the map quest days where you click on the big north arrow, page reloads, you've got some more map. You can just sort of keep slipping through. And those slippy map tiles you see in the browser, most importantly, they are actually done by dividing the world up into discrete chunks. They connect them to, the, to one another, and then you stream them into the play environment from outside your field of vision. So you can, um, one nice way of putting this is using, Google, using, using an interface like Google Maps, it's a little bit like looking at a blue whale through a letterbox. And I think that's an experience we can all understand and <laughs> brings a little something to our lives. Um, but this, yeah, it's, a, it's an absurd thing. You, looking at a blue whale through a letterbox, that, that's a, it's a fantastic design challenge. How do you uh, boil down this huge experience into what we can see through a browser window? But the, uh, the, the article that Mike was looking about, uh, excuse me, the article that he was writing about when he wrote this quote was actually a game design article. And it was about, a, uh, it's a really great paper called The Continuous World of Dungeon Siege. Dungeon Siege is um, a computer game where you go around, it's the usual sort of role-playing stuff. Um, and anyone who's a games player knows the loading screen and knows that over the years there have been valiant efforts by developers uh, of games to never see a loading screen to sort of be constantly streaming in the next bit of the map. Um, and that, in its uh, extended analogy, is what I see us getting out of Web 2.0. But always off the edge of the map, off the edge of the data you're looking at, is more data. And you can always stream it into the user experience, stream it into the existing page without showing a loading screen. So to bring that back to how we treat this on Doppler, um, there are lots of places on Doppler pages where we use data from other sites. So you're looking at your uh, past trip page, and we can show your Flickr photos. We can do a Flickr query, find the photos from your trip. It's a relatively blunt instrument. It's, uh, we're just doing a Flickr API query to find out what photos were taken on the, this sort of range of dates that your trip were on, that you took. And we display them. We not, might not get them exactly right. But if they interest you, if, as one might see, a castle on the horizon in a continuously streaming 3D game, you find that an interesting thing, you can move closer to that. But you haven't immediately left the Doppler site. We're showing you the possibilities at the edge of the map, and you can then drag your cursor, scroll in, move in that next piece of data, leave the Doppler site, but continue your thread of thought and data through that. With that, I hand you back to Matt Jones. So that's kind of the theoretical 
stuff that is going on in our heads when we're making these decisions. But we, we wanted to kind of like zoom, sort of do the long zoom between the, the blue whale and the H card or something. Um, <laughs> My so I'm, I'm, we're broadly going to talk uh, in a kind of very two cultures. I'm going to talk about some of the design stuff. Matt's going to talk about some of the technically, technical, technically stuff. Shows what I know about it all. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about um, Doppler's identity and the sort of visual uh, and UI choices that we made. Um, who knows what that is? You're murmuring Coke bottle. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, a guy called Martin Lindstrom said, the genius of the Coke bottle is when it smashes into a thousand pieces, you still know it's a Coke bottle. I think that's kind of the sort of challenge that you've got when you're in this kind of slippy mat, dungeon sea, slippy mat? Slippy mat. Oh, slippy mat. Uh, <laughs> Later. Dungeon sea. <laughs> <laughs> um... As, and, and, and as we keep quoting people uh, because we're lazy and didn't have time to write all these slides. Um, it's a great quote from Dan Saffer of Adap Late of Adaptive Path, now starting his own business called Kicker Studio. And I think this is really key. It's kind of like very, very, you sort of read TechCrunch or Dig or all the rest of it. You get really depressed. Like, oh, it's just all of these same ideas going. Ideas are not what's going to win in this kind of coral reef world. It's going to be execution, and it's going to be details. I think Dan is absolutely right, and that's where we try and head with this. And um, The identity of Doppler is something that we sort of came up with um, ages and ages ago um, in, a, in a cottage in Norfolk where we were sort of building the first prototype. Um, but it wasn't until we kind of um, got to the stage where we were starting to prototype, we sort of realized what we could do technically with this was to kind of use the data on the edge of the map and bring it in to kind of infuse our identity with the world and also your identity. So as you know, if you're a user of Doppler, then um, our brand slowly changes into your brand and becomes your kind of DNA. Um, and another thing that we learned was a word called uh, delighter. And delighter is a word that I learned from a guy who used to run the W Hotels in New York and, and in San Diego. And he used to say that um, a delighter is a, is a term of art from the hotel industry or hospitality industry where um, you put something into somebody's experience um, or into, you know, into their room, but you do it in such a way that it creates nothing but absolute joy and delight. And the example that he used, which stuck with me for ages, was the rubber duck. If you go into a hotel room um, and there's a rubber duck already in there, You'll go, oh, rubber duck, cool. If you go into the hotel room on your second night there when you've been out shopping all day and uh, it's been raining and you're knackered and you really want a bath and there's a rubber duck, you'll be incredibly delighted. At least that's the theory. So we're always trying to find uh, the rubber ducks that we can put into the experience wherever we can. Um, and one of the things that I really like about the, 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 the logo is that almost entirely dependably... Um, people don't notice that the colors are changing until like two or three months in. And they go, oh, the colors are changing. Why are the colors changing? You, you watch people, you know, you set up all your vanity alerts on Doppler, on, on, on surmise and things like that. And go, oh, I just noticed the colors are changing. Um, and why are the colors changing? So then we go and talk to them and say, this is why the colors are changing, because they reflect what you're doing around the world. And these are the city colors that uh, are referring to where you are in the world. They go, oh, that's really nice. I really like that. And then about another month later, they go, 
And you did it in the fab icon. Um, <laughs> and uh, one of the, the secret power behind Doppler is a guy called Tom Inson, who's um, uh, the other developer on Doppler. Uh, pour one out for him. He can't be here today. He's on holiday. Um, but he, if you leave him to his own devices, he will just come up with things like this all day, every day. And we have to kind of just slap him around a bit, saying, no. Stop fiddling with that stuff. No, but it's really fun. No, slap. Um, and and he's—he, I mean, he's one of the—he's actually probably the design genius behind Doppler. Actually, he's fantastic. And he actually um, did a lot of work on the kind of uh, color, color coding work kind of thing. Um, one thing um, that perhaps I deviously can claim as an intervention um, was when we were producing our public profile feature, which uh, came out a couple of months ago now. Um, we had something that we wanted to put in there called data toys. Um, we wanted to have a whole bunch of things, which, uh, and, and I think Tantec gave a great talk and was talking about the stuff, uh, the stuff that you can put on your public profile, and uh, Daniel Burke was talking about the stuff that can be inferred from your behavior and sort of uh, put that on your public profile. And one of the things that we wanted to put in there, apart from all of the functional uh, utility stuff, was kind of uh, delighters, and we sort of called these data toys. Um, and one of them is uh, called personal velocity. And personal velocity works out uh, how fast you'd be traveling if you just continually moved. A, this, so it works out the distance you've totally traveled in a year. Totally traveled. Um, and then it sort of works back out then uh, how, much, how, how fast you'd have to be going continually to kind of achieve that distance without stopping, without resting. Um, and we thought that was really nice to do visualization of all that stuff. And I think I may have been drunk, but I think I said, yeah, but wouldn't it be good if we turned them into animals? Um, so we turned them into, we, we sort of equivalized, equi equivalized? Is that a good word? word. Thanks. Um, it is now. Um, <laughs> we equivalized. <laughs> TM. Um, <laughs> your personal velocity to an animal. Tricky thing is, on the internet, nobody knows you're a dog. Also, nobody knows how fast dogs go, really. Um, we, I spent probably longer trying to figure out what speeds animals go than anything else <laughs> that I've done on Doppler. Um, we now have a retained zoologist um, <laughs> who we buy pints, and he tells us. The problem is, is all of the information about animals on the internet is about, is about when animals attack. or you know, It's kind of all about exciting, fast animals. And most of us aren't going that fast. The fastest person that we have on Doppler is actually going the speed of a whippet, which is 35 miles an hour, which is a bit... But we also, you know, once we got down to kind of tortoise and butterfly and duck, we were like, oh, God, we can't find any more slow animals. So we had to flip over to the NASA crawler transporter, favorite of mine, and the glacier. Um, so, and I think these are the two coolest, literally, uh, icons anyway. So we're trying to encourage... Uh, Travel responsibility via animals and shuttles. Um, and the, the thing about this, again, is kind of uh, in this quote from uh, Russell Davies. Thank you, Russell, for writing this very nice article about us in, in Campaign, the advertising uh, magazine. This is all, all, of course, pointless and silly, but it's also charming, engaging, and relatively easy to do, which is kind of our corporate strategy, I think. Um, <laughs> And, 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 it, and it bore out. It's like within launching this, it was, again, like looking at the vanity searches and all the rest of it, finding people like 
talking about, oh, I'm a butterfly, I'm a duck, uh, I'm a whippet. Um, and then taking screen grabs of it. And it's this kind of constant search for kind of uh, using joy and delight to let you sort of um, investigate some of your behaviors or look at some of the things that you're doing and, again, spin that model around a bit more. Um, you all know who this guy is, I'm sure. Um, we haven't been seeing a lot of him lately, uh, which is good. Well done, boys and girls. Um, we have the fail snail. We hope you never see him, so we, we're showing him now. Um, and then uh, this is the serious test, really. If you do react badly <laughs> to flashing lights, look um, away until I music. tell you not to. All right? So when I say look away, who, who actually is anybody? Uh, well, don't reveal yourself, but just kind of, you know, don't go, ah. <laughs> Me. Um, but really, if I don't want to, you know, statistically, we could be calling ambulances. So... Right, we, should we do this? Yeah, okay. come on. So what we're going to show you is something that we've generated <laughs> um, uh, as a, what we hope is another delighter. And ready? Look away now. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, look, look away now. <laughs> find us later and ask us very nicely, what we're going to give you is one of these. <laughs> um, and each on, on each one of these are the six uh, blocks of a Doppler logo, um, but they're generated directly from uh, the uh, behavior in aggregate of all of Doppler users. We've actually printed out the top 78 um, cities that people travel to. Um, and so what we're hoping to do is that tonight at the party, you'll be able to do that kind of really good kind of thing that you used to do when you were a kid of, you know, the Pokemon, got, 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 need, 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 got, and uh, find the cities that you want. So um, one of the things that we're really, really interested in doing um, with, with Doppler is kind of creating effects in the, in the real world. And uh, one of the things that we're going to try and do is more kind of physical and digital delighters as well. But now, with science... <laughs> <laughs> Here comes Matt Bidoff. I'm back again. Okay, um, let's see. So, building a distributed interwoven system. So you've heard quite a lot about the way that we try and uh, influence, subtly influence people's behavior in a non-evil way, of course. And um, <laughs> uh, the ways that, uh, you know, we hope that Doppler will link up with the rest of the world. So I'm going to talk just a little bit uh, about the, the way this works under the skin. So pretty early on, we started doing things using APIs, Twitter and Flickr, to, um, to pull in elements from other sites. Uh, but if you're a developer, you'll know that there's the, the, the dreaded problem with, with all this. You, you start off, you build a bit of code, it's nice and simple, and um, all works very nicely on your own laptop. You deploy it to the site, and what you've done the first time around the block is implemented everything synchronously. So if I need to render, if I need to go ask Flickr what are the latest photos from your photo stream, I go do it on my web server while I'm rendering your page. Um, and then when that's done, I put it in the page and so on. That's all fine until bad network connections, Flickr's a little bit slow, um, huge traffic spike, and you're suddenly running out of resources on your web server. And so the really important thing uh, in designing a modern website that's plugging into lots of third-party APIs is to look at asynchronous infrastructures. Asynchronous, it's not just for the browser. It's not just for Ajax. It's for servers too. And... 
there's Doppler and a cache in the middle of it, the data we, we're going to keep copies of. Hopefully, we won't have to go out onto the web to find that new stuff. But there are lots of things we need to do that talk to the outside world. We um, hopefully soon will be sending and receiving IMs. Uh, we send out our email alerts. We don't want to be sitting there talking to SMTP servers in the middle of a web request. Um, we run various cron jobs. We have to pre-calculate a bunch of um, batch stuff, like overnight, when you might have changed location. We need to work out what's your new location. Um, and on the outside of that, these are what we end up talking to. We're publishing out to FriendFeed and Facebook, and we're checking Mr. and Mrs. Smith, our business partners, for the latest in their uh, wonderful selection of hotels. And, uh, by now. By now. Other hotels are available. Um, and batch calculations and this sort of thing. And I'm not going to go into it in any depth today, but I just want to say to every developer in the room that you need to be playing with asynchronous messaging right now on your servers. You need to grab Apache ActiveMQ or Beanstalked or play with Amazon's uh, simple queue system and start building um, a different sort of gearing into your website. Think of each of these layers as things that may want to run at different speeds in an engine. And the way you make things run at different speeds in a mechanism is to put gearing between them and to allow them to free will from each other from time to time and not all proceed in lockstep. It's, this is going to be an enormously important engineering principle uh, for the next, well, for the future. So a, uh, a shout-out to our hosts, Mr. Jeremy Keith, who we're all looking forward to hearing from uh, next on this stage. I love this blog post from uh, Jeremy. He was writing about why he's really excited about going to San Francisco in a few weeks' time, a few weeks ago. And the reason he was really excited is because he told Doppler that he was going to be there, which meant that Doppler was going to tell Fire Eagle that he was there when he arrived. And Fire Eagle, which is subscribed to by Pounce, would update his Pounce status, and then his Pounce status would appear, and so on and so forth. Got this cascade of information flowing through the web without you having to even participate. Again, the asynchronous nature of data, not just the asynchronous nature of interactions between you, the browser, and your server. Um, and I found this lovely uh, sort of engineering kind of diagram that someone made. This is possible right now. These sites, which were all developed independently of each other with no coordination, merely by opening up open APIs using published standards, whether it be microformats or a proprietary piece of XML or uh, pieces of JSON, um, by communicating over HTTP and other mechanisms. All this all these updates are possible without us ever having planned it. And I absolutely love that. Every time I see a new place where we've been plugged into something else. It's very, very exciting for me. And I, I love this idea that um, what we originally put as a proposal for this talk, I'm not sure if it made it through to the description, is how to build a successful website that nobody has to visit. Doppler actually appears in lots and lots of other places on the web, and the data that Doppler uh, receives and sends out appears in lots of other places on the web and, in the, as we say, in the physical world. And that's great. I think there's a lot to be gained by... It's the classic uh, sort of Google business strategy. A lot to be gained by sending people away from your website. It increases trust. It makes you useful in other parts of their web life. And it's not just uh, tying them into some captive experience. But it can get a little bit hi-fi separate. Am I choosing the right CD player to go with these speakers? And what if I got the gold-plated wire with the JSON support? Uh, would the bass response be better? So, you know... <laughs> Doppler has great base response, by the way. <laughs> um, so, but if you're into, if you're into the, the nerdy side of things, then we have started to open source a bunch of the routines that we use to do things like our um, social network uh, import. And uh, we're working all the time on new, uh, new ways to do this. So if you go and search GitHub for Doppler, I would love uh, to receive uh, patches and contributions to this. And um, 
one of the things we're working on right now, uh, I'm sure Tantac is going to enjoy a great deal when it comes out, is social network subscription, which we think is the next step in this interconnectedness of, of social network portability. Simply that uh, ability to go out and check, not just in front of you right now, go check your Facebook uh, network and import from it, but to check it, say, once a week. And then I think the biggest challenge for all this social network portability work is actually the technical work is hard and it takes time and we all have to support the standards and eventually we get there. But that, because we haven't had it before, we don't know how to do the interactions with the user. Um, and Doppler is always very careful with social networks to be contextual. So we won't uh, automatically import your LiveJournal friends into Doppler because perhaps those people you share with on LiveJournal are not the people you want turning up uh, unexpectedly in a place in the middle of the, uh, uh, you know, somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Perhaps they're a bit creepy. I don't know. But social networks are contextual, and certainly my LinkedIn network is not the same as my Facebook network, and I want to make a selection, pick and choose from them when I make my choice of Doppler friends. Um, again, we, we love the idea of small pieces loosely joined, and we added this uh, public profile support a little while back so that you can open up a bit of your information, make yourself a a profile page that says what your past or future trips were. And um, we love the idea that we kind of, on this page, we're adding more and more uh, toys. The right-hand column there is labeled toys, the, the um, personal velocity and so on. But we want these toys, because the visualizations are lovely and because the information is useful, we want them to have a life outside of Doppler. So the way we've coded this is that every one of these modules, it can be um, embedded as a blog badge. You just sort of mouse over and we give you a little bit of code that lets you do that. Um, but one of the things we're also working on is that every, every single one of the uh, boxes on this page is under the skin. It's an open social application. So when, if and when a site that you uh, want to share your Doppler information on supports the open social uh, standard, you'll be able to embed one of these as a little widget in your site elsewhere. And again, we will sort of interoperate with them without planning, sort of unplanned, uncoordinated collaboration, which I think is the massive, massive power of sort of data portability around the web these days. And what do we have here? So um, this is another feature that we launched recently. Um, your information about where you're going to travel to might come from anywhere on the web. We are not trying to replace your Google Calendar or the other things that you use to plan your travel. So one of the things we launched uh, recently was the ability to send a message to, to sign up, send us a message, uh, register your Twitter account, and then you can... Uh, just at Doppler, I'm going to Budapest for two nights on November 19th, and it goes through to the site. Um, and there we go. The th interesting thing for me about this, again, as a technologist, is this is absolutely outside the area of nice standards. I'm not getting uh, an H card, an H calendar from Twitter. I'm looking at words that people wrote. And the thing we really like about Twitter is if you say at Doppler, I'm going to be in Budapest on November uh, the 12th, then that goes to us, but it also goes to other people who follow you. So it serves this dual purpose of a kind of announcement, a sharing with your Twitter friends, and an instruction to your, to your machine slave at Doppler.com. And um, the thing that I found most interesting building this was the kind of little nitty-gritty problems you get into, trying to not parse natural language as such. There's no AI going on here. We don't know what the verbs and the nouns are. But we do have an enormous amount of heuristics uh, to try and understand what are the words in a sentence. We know, after a year and a half of being on the web and collecting people's travels, we know what the top 1,000 destinations in the world are. So we know that if you say Paris, you're likely to mean Paris in France, not Paris, Texas. However, if you've been to Paris, Texas before, and we know that on Doppler, then we will assume that if you say Paris, you mean Paris, Texas, because 
we have a little more heuristics the more we get to know you. And I ended up compiling this lovely list of words, which is actually, they're all common English words that often appear in the body text of email confirmations that you get from airlines, and they're all towns in the world. And I, compiling that sort of stop list is really, really fiddly. And so yeah, Comfort, Texas, it's a real place. Fully luck normal. There's a place called Conference. I live in a town called Conference. <laughs> Maybe my memoirs. So, um, on to new features. It's such a perfect end there. I hope you all remember that from your childhood. Who remembers that moment. the Red Hand Gang? This was a debate. Was kind of, who remembers, yeah, who remembers that show? Oh, you're right. Oh, good. good. They're good. with us. <laughs> so, I'll go very quickly through this stuff. Um, but yeah, we're, as we always try and do with, um, with new features, uh, because it's not enough to have to you know, sweat over a conference tour, we also like to set ourselves a deadline every time we have a conference. So we've been working on our Brighton release for the last uh, couple of months. And we're, we're putting groups into Doppler. You can, we've created a group here for Deconstruct. The idea being that Doppler, when it started out, was all about sharing just with the people that you've chosen, that you know and trust. But we know that there are lots of times when you come together through some affiliation or company association, and you want to be able to keep in touch with people that way. So um, we're adding a group feature where you can share trips, just the trips you select that you think are relevant, to uh, a group. And it'll help you find... Uh, find people that you might want to share trips with afterwards. So if you're trying to uh, look back through and find out who was that that I met, someone I want to meet up with again. Um, and you end up with a lot of the same uh, features that we have for the individual. There's a sort of group journal and visualizations. Hello. And group coincidences so that you can see the coincidences with people just for those trips that you've shared. Um, and you can be in one of the one group. We have groups for companies. And we carried on with our usual uh, kind of nice line in visualizations and a group carbon calculator, which we think will be going uh, on very nicely on some corporate responsibility reports. So, talking of corporate responsibility, the BBC. Um, so, the first, what we, we're rolling out this feature over the next uh, month or so. What we started with is a group exclusively for deconstruct attendees who are the first people to use this feature. Um, and then we are creating groups for a whole bunch of companies. Uh, the BBC, The Guardian, this sort of thing, rolling it out in a kind of open beta way. Oh, one more thing. Um, so the features we've been adding are all about kind of more and more openness. Doppler, when it started out, our absolute concern was about privacy. This is trip information, where you're going to be in the world. It's not quite the same as things you might Twitter, that sort of thing. So we were really very concerned that people would trust our site. So our very first um, version of the system, all you could do is share trips with people that you chose, and there's nothing you can see without a Doppler account. If you're not on the site and logged in, it's, a pretty, it's just a front door and pretty much nothing else. So what we're introducing this week is a share this trip. If you've used Flickr's guest pass feature, you'll be familiar with this kind of thing. Um, 
You can go and, for one specific trip, choose people from your contacts or people who are not on Doppler and send them a message. And that message comes in as an email. And that guest pass URL gives them access to that one trip. Um, and I think the thing, this is very, very interesting from a kind of, uh, again, connecting this point of view, that we don't want Doppler to be a walled garden. We want it to have lots of, uh, we want it to be a, this sort of semi-permeable semi -permeable membrane where things can move back and forth through under the control of the users. So I think this is a nice way to just open up the uh, system. And this is all you'll see as a sort of non-Doppler user, someone, who's been, someone who has been shared with. Now the science bit. Mr. Jones, to your position. Thank you. Uh, I am now, before your very eyes, going to share a trip with the entire room. Now, if you would uh, please reach for your iPhones or other QR code readers. We'd like to try an experiment. Start your phones. I want to get a picture. Anybody got it? Oh, there's a beep. Oh, oh, I didn't win. Uh. <laughs> Maybe if I go. <laughs> Who's got one? Who got it? Anyone? No. Oh, science oh. goes. Come on, Matt, back to the stage. Okay. Okay. This experiment will be refined over a number of versions, <laughs> using data from this occasion. Thank you very much for participating. And with that, I hand you back to Mr. Matt Jones. Oh, to the stage. Didn't work. No, uh, next time. Well, the point of that was that um, you know we'd, we'd like to be able to use some of these things of pushing data out into the world to push it out into physical forms as well. So, like the moose stickers that you can get from us later. Um, but while I've got you all here and now slightly <laughs> disappointed, bear in mind you have five minutes. Yes, I'm going <laughs> to rant at you very, very quickly. Um, Merlin Mann is a god. Um, if you need to appear on an internet list to know whether somebody, you're somebody's friend, you may have problems a computer can't solve. <laughs> Who knows about this, this fake follow thing on friend feed? Yeah? I mean, this, I mean, it's very clever, and, and they're doing great work and all the rest of it, but the fact that we have to have all of these contortions and acrobatics to avoid, you know, I have to make a fake friend, and I have to fake follow the fake friend... So I don't offend the friend who is my friend, who shows up on somebody else's fake friend list. Um, and Merlin makes a very good case for uh, He sort of also makes a case for things like um, pause buttons on social networks, things, again, that sort of move towards this movement metaphor rather than kind of a, 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 a steady-state metaphor that we had previously. Um, but the thing that's kind of bubbling up in my mind <laughs> is that soon we may have to kind of say this, that... Um, a lot of the reasons that we are tying ourselves in knots is because of language, because so much is tied onto the notion of friendship, the intimacy, the, the kind of transitiveness of friends, friendship, what you're able to share and what you, you wouldn't with certain people, and then how, how does that move to friends of friends? And all of the things that Tantec was talking about, I mean, very um, fantastic things to be able to do with information, but using that word friend just kind of like takes it, you know, something in our monkey brain kind of just goes, oh, um, you know, they, they, I need to collect a dollhouse of friends or I need to kind of 
be very careful about how I handle this. So I'm kind of thinking very carefully about this at the moment. And one of the, th- one of the things that we started off at Doppler, when we started off Doppler, we tried to keep to it, is that we never use the word friend. We always talk about the informational relationship. We talk about the kind of switchboard pipe that you're connecting to somebody that you trust. And we talk about the information that's going, and we talk about the level of trust, and we talk about what's going to happen, but we don't judge whether that is your friend, your bank manager, your boss, you know, your arch enemy, whoever it is. Um, and it just makes life a hell of a lot easier. Um, and <laughs> one of the downsides of this is, is that you have to kind of, uh, you, you, sacrifice, you sacrifice kind of the speed of growth that perhaps you see in kind of entirely public, uh, symmetrical, relationship, friend-based sites, those kinds of things. But you can't put this toothpaste back in the tube. So I think kind of starting off very slow and moving out to kind of levels of trust that people are comfortable with and giving them control of it is really important too. This is another Merlin Mann quote. This is awkward Herr Mozart. The looped gentleman has returned yet again and he inquires to as you did not frowned Herr Salieri. Um, and, and so another thing that we need to build into these sorts of things if we are talking about relationships and trust and things that it's way harder to do in terms of uh, when you're talking about friends and all of these very loaded terms, is, you know, the case of being able to have plausible deniability. And that's what uh, friend feed are trying to establish, but the gymnastics you have to go through just because you're talking about human relationships rather than informational relationships. I mean, talk about informational relationships in a human way and talk about them clearly, but, you know, loading all of this emotion into it is, is, is very difficult. I mean, we're, we're kind of something which is targeted is much more towards... Uh, business, and we're also handling information which is very sensitive to, to people, and we're very careful with it. Um, but it is something that I think, you know, this kind of friending neologism is something that needs to be uh, challenged. Um, first, can you believe there was a Friends PlayStation game? Um, um, oh, you, oh, sir, you played it. I'm sorry. Um, the, the friend is not the only social role, role we play. Stephen, Stephen Johnson's talk this morning kind of set this up very well. The, so, the realm, spectrum of social roles that we play in the city, in the places that we are. Um, Matt Webb, uh, again, I'll quote him, he's a sort of, um, so, social software, which used to be the kind of trendy term three or four years ago. Um, we talked about it as software that's better when there are other people there. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they are your friends or you are mapping your relationships. But there's a whole wealth of opportunities and experiments and design uh, kind of uh, prototyping and excitement that you can take outside of the social net thing. This is an idiom that is kind of setting us up for a fall, I think. Um, This is a project by um, Intel Research Berkeley uh, called Familiar Stranger. Um, And it's it's not about friends, it's about strangers, but it's about people that you meet all the time in your neighborhood, the person who's always at the bus stop at the same time as you, gets on the same train as you, see in the corner shop. And it's about surfacing and visualizing those. Um, And sort of thinking about all of these different roles that people play rather than friend um, is something uh, that I'm super interested in exploring and continuing to explore with Doppler. Jane Jacobs there, uh, as as Stephen said, uh, was talking about the eyes on the street and the kind of uh, uh, how that creates a thriving city. And this is actually a quote from uh, Stephen's ghost map. Uh, Jane Jacobs observed many years ago that, that one of the paradoxical, oops, paradoxical ex- effects of um, the diversity of cities are the rich cultures that um, 
establish themselves in the niches. And I think that's kind of ties into the kind of coral reef metaphor and kind of thinking about different social roles and different ways that things play in this kind of movement through this thing that is organism and infrastructure is something that's going to be really, really worthwhile exploring in the next couple of years rather than this kind of, uh, uh, you know, just very trammeled route of kind of looking at social network idioms as we have them at the moment. And, and on a final kind of point of rant and sort of why is it worth us doing it this way and continuing to do this way, this way. so, you know, you have to have a Tim O'Reilly slide in other words, you get checked up, chucked out of the Web 2.0 mafia. Um, and he says, I've argued for years that one of the critical decisions we have to make is whether we build on a one ring to rule them all, this kind of portal thing, or we work with a Unix internet model of sm small pieces loosely joined, where cooperating applications come together to build value greater than any of the pieces do alone. We're entering a critical phase of that decision. Application developers need to embrace the small pieces loosely joined model. They are picked off by, one by one by dominant companies already reach scale and are practicing the run one ring model mentioning no names. And he finishes it off with this great quote from Benjamin Franklin. We must all hang together or we shall all assuredly hang separately. So let's do this all together. Right? Thank you very much. <laughs>